Brother, Brother Terry Shaka taught about the power of, and so I'm going to just stay with that. This is a whole four weeks of power of. Uh, we're going to talk about the power of death. What an exciting topic. How uplifting. How encouraging the power of death. You're saying, Scott, what is wrong with you? Are you okay? There's, there's a lot I haven't added to your handout, and if you're the type that likes to add notes, I'm going to give you some extras to put in there. Luke chapter 14, verses 26 through 27, and verse 33 are some additional verses. Luke 14, 26, 27, and 33. Jesus gives the most important call ever heard when he asks us to leave everything and follow him. Now listen to this call. It's daunting. If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, in his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. So likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all he hath cannot be my disciple. That's a strong checklist for discipleship. And just to help you with a little bit of that, Jesus throughout his ministry and the word of God in general does not encourage families to hate each other, to despise each other. But when it comes to comparison between my love for the Lord and my love for others, nothing can come between that. If it has to be a question, if it has to be a decision-making situation, I've got to have the desire to choose the Lord over anyone else and trust the Lord to work that out. Sometimes he is able to, sometimes he's not. There are people that have come to church all their life and some family member or others have forever said, you choose that church and you lose us. And that's a choice you have to make. According to my mother, we embarrassed her to death. That was her phrase. You boys are embarrassing me to death. You act like devils. That was the phrase she said. I am so embarrassed of the way you're acting. Embarrassed of the way you behave in church. When we go to people's house to eat afterwards, mom would say to me, specifically and to Jeff as well, you watch my eye. If they give you one piece of chicken, that's fine. But the second piece of chicken, you look at me. And if I give you the eye... That means you don't ask for the second piece of chicken. And I figured out the best thing to do was just not to look at her eye. <laughs> and then I could get how much chicken I wanted. And she said, you embarrassed me to death. I don't know what death had to do with it, but always was embarrassed to death. And so um, now she and dad are doing their best to embarrass us to death. Um, I got this story that you have to consider the source. My sister told my brother. My brother told, told me. Neither one of those are all that trustworthy when it comes to stories. Just saying that. But evidently, my mom and dad went to visit my sister and her family, David and Dana and the three kids, and the oldest, Elijah's playing the trumpet. And they have in some school, um, some Christmas musical thing at their school. 500 people are there. They're all in the stands. The kids are all 
got their instruments and they're making little noises and getting warmed up, you know, their little drummer and people are, all the sounds. And the choir people are there and they're all ready. And the principal stands up and says, folks, I'm, I'm sorry to stop this, but we have a situation that I just can't proceed until we get it fixed. There's a car that's parked in an area where it's blocking major um, exits and it's just in a really bad spot. And I, I, I'm sorry, we cannot even continue. We've got to do something about fixes right now. So I know you don't want to be embarrassed, so let's just, all of you just stand up. That way, whoever it is, you can just kind of slip out. We won't even know who it is. They all kind of laughed. And he said, now whoever has a red Camry with their license plate, God's are in. And that's my mom and dad's car. And I can't, <laughs> so that's what they're doing now in life. Their, their job was to embarrass us to death. And I can hear the conversation, you know, oh, Bill, it's fine. Just park it here. Nobody will notice. It's fine. And, of course, everybody noticed. So, um, actually, the only people that are never embarrassed to death are the dead. Did you know that? In the same spiritual way, if we're dead to this world, then nothing anyone else can think about us is embarrassing. Nothing that they say is embarrassing will have an effect upon us. But if we're dead to the Lord and the Spirit... Everything about Jesus Christ will be embarrassing to our flesh. And I know I'm still in my introduction, but I like my introduction. I'm starting a long time, so there's no blanks. Just listen and enjoy it. Some of you are so frantic. Where is the beginning? Where's the blank? <laughs> I love this crowd with this blanks. You know, I've done that last time I taught. I put the word amen in my last blank and just left it there. So I got done. I have plenty of time to talk, and I could say amen for you. Close your books and stand ready to go. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> your body fights death. Uh, years ago, many years ago, my dad and I were talking about this story, that when I was a little child, evidently, I held my breath in anger and I would pass out. Has anyone ever had a child that's done that or anyone, no one kid that's done that? Okay. So he said, Scott, if you'll hold your breath long enough and pass out, I'll give you $50. Why would my dad say that to me? I have no idea. And I tried as hard as I could. I really did. I got uh, purplish. But I never could, I ne- no matter what, my body would fight me. Now, the body actually has that ability. If it's in danger, extremities can be the first to go. If it's cold or there's a situation the body has to shut things down, it will lose fingers and toes if it will save, save life. It will begin to shut down even more to save life. Your body will fight to stay alive. And our spiritual body is the same way. Nobody wants to talk about death. Nobody wants to plan for it or think about it. But the survey says 10 out of 10 die. You know the survey says that came shocking. Gosh. Wow. You guys have need to warm up. So here's the right perspective. The Bible always has the right perspective. 2 Corinthians talks about death. Paul says, for we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God and house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. This body is important, but it's only a tent. Isn't that amazing? Paul describes a theme that scares most of the people on the planet as simply a tent being put away. That's how he describes death. A tent, a tent being dissolved or taken up or it's done. Your body is important, but it's only a tent. 
Now, I've been through wealthy subdivisions in, in areas, especially in St. Louis, where certain times of the year, there are tents out in front on their lawn. Anyone ever seen that before? You ever seen that? There's tents outside, and sometimes the family's out there in the tent. This is called sukkah, S-U-K-K-A-H, and it's found in the book of Leviticus. The concept is they want their children to know we are only passing through. But it's also important to understand our bodies are like that tent. No matter how extravagant the tent, no matter how well cared for the tent, no matter how expensive the tent, no matter how long you've been in that tent, it's still just a tent. There is another house we have in heaven. And I'm talking about that glorious body, not the one Jesus is making for you. A different body. A body without pain or suffering or breakdown or forgetfulness or I don't know what you want to call it. People call it old age and senioritis and youngitis. I don't know what itis you have. You have some kind of an itis. But one day the Lord will take this tent down collapse it, and put it away. Verse 5 gives us an idea of him working on us down here so we can fit up there. Now he that hath wrought for us, that's a working, that word means working, wrought for us the selfsame thing as God, who also hath given to us the earnest of the Spirit. He who hath, look at that verse real clearly, he that hath wrought for us, he's working on us, that self-same thing is God. A man in the middle of many painful trials took a walk in his neighborhood and saw a construction crew at work at a big church. He stood and watched the stone craftsman work a long time on a block, but couldn't see where the block would fit because the church appeared to be finished. He watched the man work on the block carefully and methodically, slowly shaping it into a precise pattern. Finally, he asked, why are you spending so much time chipping and shaping that block. The craftsman pointed up to the top of a nearly completed steeple and said, I'm shaping it down here so it will fit in up there. The man in the middle of the trials instantly knew that God's message was to him, he's being prepared down here so he would fit in up in heaven. And the word, the next word there, we talked about earnest of the spirit, that means a down payment, a partial payment, a pledge. There's a word you can write down, you already have maybe in your, in your reading. That's A-A-A-R-R-H-A-B-O-N. That's Arhaban. That's the word that's used. But if you add an A to it, it means an engagement ring. Did you know the Holy Ghost is an engagement ring? Has anyone ever been thrilled beyond comprehension with the Holy Ghost and a time of service. It's hard to explain. Think about this. That is a little payment. That's a partial payment of what you're going to experience. The best you've ever had in the Holy Ghost. The best time, the, the top, the top of the, you can imagine, that is a, that's called an engagement ring of what he's going to do for us. That, see, that's a perspective that's different than the one on earth. On earth, it's all about life and how long we can live and hold on to things and because that's all there is. But in this passage, death is a different conversation. Understanding what really it is and what really it isn't. And what's the power of death? The power is once you realize what's worth dying for, you know what's worth living for. Otherwise, it's so confusing. Right this moment, 
$48 million has been given by Jeff Bezos to a group called Forever Now that are making a, a 10,000-year clock in a mountain. I've seen the pictures of the excavation, and the concept behind it is, I know you're looking at me like I'm crazy. You say, I can put $48 million to use better than that. The idea is a man that was making supercomputers in the 80s and 90s got burned out and folks asking him, can you make a faster and faster and faster supercomputer? And he thought, what if I make the slowest computer ever? And then their conversation, of course, without God, is we've got to change the way we think about problems. We can't solve hunger in the next year. Maybe we can solve it in 500 years. We can't solve climate change, according to this article, in, in maybe a couple of years. We can solve it in a thousand years. We've got to think longer. So we're going to have this clock that's in a mountain that will keep time for 10,000 years. Every year it'll click like a clock would do for a second. It'll bong every 100 years. And every 1,000 years, that little birdie will come out. And the idea is, people said, well, couldn't you feed people with that? They said, yeah, but people would still be hungry if we fed them. So we've got to change the way people think about problems. And I'm, I am thinking, guys, you're, you're missing it. But it, I suppose it does make sense if this is all there is. If this is all there is, why not make a 10,000-year clock in a mountain that you can't hardly go and see unless you trek 2,000 feet up? That's the walk you'd have to take to go and see it when they get completed. And I feel like somebody in this church could raise their hand and say, I, if you want to give me the $48 million, I can do it. I can work and help somebody. I can do something better than that. Yes, several people already volunteered. There we go. Great. So to live is Christ, but there is a way to live that's dead of this world. Come and dine is a blessing for living for the Lord, but it's not the most powerful call we can ever hear. Come and die is a call that changes our living. Come and die changes our living. Now, this is a, a difficult topic for me to talk about because I've seen it and I know how to live it, but I'm not really challenged every day on it. I'm, I don't have that challenge. I, I, I know that I can, but I haven't had it like my grandmother had, where she had to take that step out of being her religion of Catholicism and was challenged face-to-face with family, saying, what are you doing? Where are you going on a Sunday night? We play cards every Sunday night. She says, I'm going to go to the church. And I'll never forget the story of Uncle Joe who said, you see this pasta? You see these meatballs? You see that? Sazitza, this is my God. And of course, that Uncle Joe died a couple months later. And when he died, he was screaming about torment and fire. That, that's a different kind of thing when you have to choose. Do I really choose the Lord when it's, when it's the world saying it's either us or, or your religion? There's a way to live and the, the strongest call you can ever hear is come and die. Paul said he carried around with him in his physical body an understanding of the dying of the Lord. Second Corinthians 4.10 Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus that the life also Jesus might be manifest in our body. Manifest is revealed, the seen, to be clearly seen. I asked myself when I read that, Am I truly carrying about in me the dying of the Lord Jesus? Do I carry that about in my life, the dying of the Lord Jesus? I want the other part. I want the, the light to manifest. But am I, am I only buying into the good and not the bad? Am I 
like the kid who always wants to go to bat but never wants to play defense. That feeling of, I want the blessings of God, but I don't want to die to this world. Do you understand what I'm saying? Galatians says it like this, I am crucified with Christ. So Paul, you dead? No, wait, no, no. I am crucified, not physically. Nevertheless, I am still here. I live. Yet it's not me, but Christ that lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul understood there was a crucifixion, a dying to this world. They say, I am dead to this world. Think about that. What could you offer Paul? How could you pay Paul off to stop him? Nothing can be given to him. No treasures, no benefits, no power, no social, anything you could put in his hands. Because he said, I am crucified. I am dead to it. This body you see, it's not, I'm dead inside. It's just the Lord that's living inside this body. That's animating this body. That's moving this lips. That's making me do what I do. Paul understood there had to be a death to our natural flesh, our earthly desires, our carnal nature. He actually struggled with it every day. And the Bible says, I die daily. Gives a concept of that dying. You being dead can make Jesus glad. (laughs) I laughed when I wrote that. I know that's really weird. You being dead can make Jesus glad. Wow. People right now saying, I don't think that's very good. That Jesus is glad if I'm dead. So in John 11, Bible says his sisters, Lazarus' his sisters, sent for the Lord, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love us is sick. When Jesus heard that, he said, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. And when I read that, I think, Lord, I, I'm not sure you might be confused. This is not for death, but for the glory of God. He dies, Lord, a little later. But you know, my timeline and what I call dead, the Lord doesn't call dead. And what I call over, the Lord doesn't call over. And what I think to be just finished, the Lord said, I'm not, it's not finished. I've got a plan that you don't see. And it may not be the plan you like. And that's frustrating. I've got plans I can submit to the Lord tonight, but he's not one of my plans. He has his own plans. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. When he heard therefore he was sick, he stayed where he was for two days. These things said he, verse 11 through 16, explaining to the disciples, our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I might wake him out of sleep. And the disciples said, good, Lord, that would probably make him feel better if he's sleeping and probably do well. Jesus said, no, you're thinking of actual sleep. Lazarus is dead, and I am glad for your sakes that I was not there, to the intent that ye may believe. Nevertheless, let's go to him. There are some times in our life we have to get a hold of this concept that for the Lord to do what he wants, there has to be some dying somewhere. The Lord waits until there's a death, and then he moves in. And until we have a death in ourself to our own, our own ways, a death to our own strength, a death to our own ability to get, make it, until there's that kind of death, the Lord doesn't show up. But when it's all over and we're done and we say, Lord, it, it, it's dead, it's done, then the Lord comes in. Wow. Romans 8, 5 through 9 paints a version of living yet also dead. And the key phrase in the passage is pleasing God. Pleasing God. 
How do people please God? And who is not able to please Him? For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. But they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded, say carnally minded, is death, but spiritually minded is life and peace. Because a carnal mind is enmity against God. It's not subject to the law of God. Neither indeed can be. So then they that in the flesh cannot please God. But ye are not in the flesh, but if in the Spirit, but in the Spirit, if so be, let the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. This is a day-by-day experience. Dairy farmers have a saying, the worst thing about dairy cows is that they don't stay milked. That's the worst thing about them, because it's every day. And people that mow lawns probably say the worst thing about grass, it doesn't stay cut. Because you got to come back and cut it again. And women that are even guys that wash dishes a lot say the worst thing about dishes is they keep getting dirty. Most houses, that's that way. Anybody's house besides mine like that? Yeah, keep getting dirty. And the problem with having the Spirit of Christ in you is that in this world, in the life we live, it's easy for us to get back off the cross and take control of our life again and not be dead anymore. Very easy to do that. Paul and other early Christians made a decision that separated them from the world around them. They were ready to die for Jesus Christ. That was the transformational thing. They were ready to die for Jesus Christ. Now, maybe you're like me and you've read a lot of um, end-time books or uh, Frank Peretti things or even watched a few... Christian movies that talk about the end and, you know, you think about those times. What happens if there's persecution before the Lord comes back? Or what happens if you're at that point of deny the, the Lord or die? And I think all of us have thought, you know, if I'm at that place, I'll, I will for sure, you know, uh, die for the Lord. And that seems to make sense. But they weren't just ready to die in a kind of a mental state. These men lived this ready to die. Today might be the last day. I'm going to carry about, Paul said, the dying of the Lord Jesus. Here's the problem with Paul. It's very hard to stop him. If he dies, he said, I win in this same chapter. To be absent from the body, that's me dying, is present with the Lord. Paul being killed means I win. And yet the Bible also says that those who, in Acts chapter 5, verse 41, I haven't got there, I'm sorry, let me get to the next part. But he talks about being persecuted and rejoicing about it. How can you stop someone like that? 2 Corinthians 5, 8, he says, we are confident, and I say willing rather to be absent from the body and present in the Lord. Those are the same people who rejoiced when they were openly beaten and embarrassed in public in Acts 5. And they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame. That, that's a totally different mindset, I think, than the normal American church. Even the normal apostolic church. It's hard because we talk a lot about living for Jesus, but few people talk about dying for Jesus. And I... I am not trying to be 
I'm not trying to have, push you to the, men, the mentality of the end times. I'm talking about living like that today. Dying for the Lord today. See, we still have so much on the table that at risk. So much that would be embarrassing to us. So much that's difficult for us to, to surrender and open our hand to the Lord. Things we have to do. Passions, pursuits, people, their, their opinions, or the world around us. What's okay to do, what's not to do. What is, uh, all of our minds we struggle with not being like those Christians who are so pushy or those Christians who are just so flaky, whatever that even means. But it, it, it bottles us up inside and we're afraid to be who we ought to be. We don't pray in public with other people like we really ought to. We don't talk with the Lord like we really should. We don't bring up the conversation like about the Lord like we would about something exciting we have in our life. Why does it happen? Because we're really not dead. We're not really ready to die. When it comes right down to it, are we really, really ready to be dead in this life? Saying, Lord, if I live in this life, it's because you are the one animating this body. That, that's a powerful call. No other call more powerful than come and die. And think about this. Being dead changes the way you see the people. Second Corinthians chapter, four, chapter 5, 14 through 16, Paul said, For the love of Christ constrains us. That's putting controls on us. That's putting boundaries on us. That's making it so we can't do whatever we want to do. That means there is a boundary of behavior. I, there are things in life that put constraints on us. Does anybody ever notice that? Having children puts constraints on you. Right? Being in the military puts constraints on you. You have to wear a uniform and you got to do all these things. Why? Because you're a part of something bigger than you. It puts constraints on you. The love of Christ. What a strange phrase to go from the love to a constraint. You should think that you should say maybe the frustration of Christ or the anger of Christ or the, the hard, hardness of Christ. But it doesn't say that. The love of Christ made Paul said, I am going to, I, maybe you don't have to, but I'm under constraints. I'll never forget listing out in my journal people that are constrained and thinking about this passage. I thought, if I told you someone that eats 6,000 calories a day, that gets up at 5 o'clock in the morning and swims about 10 hours in the day and can remember... Stopping halfway through his exercise program one time for a birthday. You'd wonder, what kind of crazy person is that? But then, of course, that's Michael Phelps. You talk about constrained. That man is under constrained. I mean, he, he, he said, I remember when I was 14, I can remember how excited I was at 2 o'clock that, he, that my coach decided we could, I could cut my practice a little short because it was my birthday. What kind of constraint? And of course, the Bible says, and they do it for an earthly crown that fades away. And yet, what constraints are there on the people of God? We fuss and fight and anger and, and oh, so grit our teeth about, is this heaven? Is that hell? Is this, do I have to come? Got to go to prayer? Got to do this? Got to do that? Uh, and yet, what kind of crown are we talking about? 
We've got to have heaven's perspective. We need to see the power of death to truly die to this world. Makes us alive to Jesus Christ. The problem with most of us, and even me, problem with our life, oh God of mercy, is that we're too close to the, to the world to enjoy Jesus Christ. And yet, too close to the Lord to enjoy being in the world. <laughs> it's, it's like you're in this spot. You just can't. I've met a lot of people like that, just frustrated about life. Well, I can't do this, can't do that. And, and they never have fun in the world, and that's cheap and, and short-term fun. And they never really enjoy being with the Lord because they're not sold out to one or the other. There's something galvanizing about someone that's sold out. That's really has said, I have died everything but this. Even if it's a stupid thing, even if it's a $48 million clock in a mountain, at least they're died out to something. That's powerful. That's a power of death. That brings everyone's attention. They have decided that this thing is worth their life. Mm. Jennifer and I met some disciples of Adi Da. And I was just like you when I heard that. I thought, what is that? And I asked them, please spell it for me. Adi Da. Is it, is it A-D-A? Is it A-D-I, honey? Help me. A-D-I. A-D-I and then another word, D-A. Adi Da. And uh, I didn't know what to think because the man said he saw us praying for our food. And we were, I just, you know, and let, me, let me back up. Let me give you that just a little bit. I know that, that the Lord probably didn't have a long prayer meeting over every meal. And I know that we have joked forever about praying for the groceries. And that covers the month. And if you want to go that way, that works too. Probably, Lord, this is a bag of groceries. Bless all of it. These tomatoes, everything, all the beet pot roast, make it all in Jesus' name. And you're good. That covers like a long time. But, <laughs> but and, I, and I've heard all the counter conversations about, do you pray for your food? What's your, well, you're praying that God would make the food better. What is it? You're eating McDonald's and you want a kind of a miraculous thing that's healthy, that's natural. But I, I pray for my food, I, pray, I try to simply say, Lord, thank you for this blessing this day. Thank you that my wife and I are here together and eat a meal. Thank you for your kindness. Thank you for your goodness. I'm thinking that we have the ability to buy food and eat it. And just bless all of it in Jesus' name. It's more than just the food. You know what I'm saying? I'm not trying to say that I've got the food prayer down, but that's just how I do it and why I do it. <laughs> that's my, my, my heart is not to, you know have a tradition of praying for the food. And because I, I, I mean, I've been with folks who, especially new Christians said, well, well, Scott, should we pray for every course? And they did. And that was long, man. It was tough because we had the salad prayer and then we prayed for, we prayed for rolls. Then they prayed for meat and then they prayed for dessert. And it was like, I am prayed out. I am done with this praying for everything. I'm not sure if you really got the right concept. So, he came over to us and saw us um, praying for our food. And he, said, I, I, he says, I think um, we serve the same God. I said, we do? Awesome. He said, yeah. He said, and we, we have the same uh, master. You just call him by a different name than I do. I said, really? He said, yeah, you call him Jesus. I said, that's right. He said, I, I, he said uh, we call him Adida. And I said, I don't know what that means. And he said, well, I've been with Hadidah almost every day. I said, really? 
I, I love the Lord. I don't know how we're, we're missing pieces here. We're not connecting. And he said, yeah, all six of us here, uh, we have, um, we're here to work on an island that our entire group has bought in Fiji. We're there whenever people can come and take a break from the United States or they take their money and they travel. And we build temples and we help the people and we grow natural foods. And so I, I don't know. He said, I know how you're looking at me. He said, I was a Christian too. You're probably looking like I'm crazy. So I began to talk to him about the Holy Ghost. I said, well, I want you to stand. I, I need to know what you're talking about first. Let's talk. What, who is Adida? And he was a man that died in 2008. Evidently said he was an ascended master, like the Hindu concept of a master who led people. And this man says, that guy is Jesus Christ. You just call him a different name. And so I said, well, that is not true. I said, I said that's not true. I begin to explain. Jesus Christ, he did not just die. He rose again. Well, hey, I know where you're coming from. I've been there before. I said, well, I don't think you know where I'm coming from. Because I'm not just like a normal Christian. I've got the Holy Ghost. When I received the Holy Ghost, I spoke in tongues. At that point, I think he thought, okay, we're, these people are, they're crazier than I am. They're really, they're on another, they're way out there. So that was mostly in the conversation. So, of course, you know how I am. I have to go and dig it up and find on, ask my friend Google what he thinks about it. And um, this is a guy, his name is Franklin Jones. Franklin Jones changed his name later to Duff Franklin Jones, to Duff Free Jones, to finally Adi Da. And people, I know, literally, he, he's had all these ex-wives that have said horrible things about him. What the money is being taken from all of these supposedly college-educated, super smart, rich people, taking their money and time, building a utopia on a Fijian island. And I thought, Lord, this is both disturbing in my heart because why would anybody just all right, take Jesus Christ out of it for a minute? This is stupid. It doesn't make any sense. But on top of that, I thought, you know, Lord, this actually is not a new thing. This is the same old thing that's been going on for a long time. Man just worships himself. Man just worships. But still, they are sold out. They have died to everything else. They're willing to do whatever it costs, whatever it takes to pay to take a trip. Can you imagine we put that in this church? You are going to have to save your money up and go to some island in Fiji. Think about that. That's a lot of money and time and effort to build some temple for Adida that I can't even hardly pronounce right or spell right. So I, I, my, my soul, here's, here's the cry of my heart. Lord, where, 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 Lord, are the people of God that are supposed to be dead to this world? Where is that at? Where are the people that say, I sell everything out and let Jesus Christ live? Where is that at? Where are the people that say, all of this is meaningless. You're looking at a tent. Now, I, I don't know about tents very much. I've been in a few tents. I know that my wife is not crazy about all of us being in a tent for very long. That would not happen. It's like a sister we met before. She said, there are morning people, there are night people, night owls, and there are tent people. I am a hotel person. I'm a hotel person. <laughs> that's my, that's my spiritual calling, hotel person. But to live, to sleep in a tent, I'm sure you have to feel like this, 
this is temporary, isn't it? We're, aren't we going to get out of this eventually? I don't care how nice it is, how great it is, how many features it has. It's still just a tent. But what happens to us when we move from a tent to a house and say, this is where I live. This is where I put down roots. This is my spot. In a spiritual sense, we are struggling with that right now. Instead of ambassadors to Christ from another country, we fall in love with this country. And we like it a lot. Yet the Lord is calling. There's a call. It's not come and dine. It's a call that says come and die. Come and die. Lay it all down. Now he says, I've got life. I've got life. Life abundantly. But it's not life just for you to have here and also have fun here. It's not the bucket list so-called of this world and the life of Jesus Christ. Wow. Look at this. Uh, did I get the last blank? Oh, I haven't. I'm so thankful for myself. Thank you, Lord, that I put the last blank at the last paragraph. Hallelujah. All right. Yes? Did I skip a couple blanks? Are there any blanks? 11, what's it now? 11.16, oh, that's true. Did I do John? I did John, right? 11.16 says, and I am glad. And I am, didn't I say I'm glad? I am glad. I'm even glad to be here. I'm like a, I, I am so glad to be here. I feel like a, like one of those lightning bugs that backed into a, a fan. I'm delighted to be here. Half people didn't even get it. All right, did, how about the pleasing God one? Did we get that one? We did? Do we have it now? Pleasing God. Okay, you're good now? How about this? How about Jeremiah 29? Everybody loves Jeremiah 29, right? What's Jeremiah 29, 11? You know that one? I know the plans I have for you. Remember that one? Anybody know Jeremiah 29, 11? Few people do? Okay, you know, Jeremiah 29, 11. It's the verse that's so wonderful about when things are bad. That the Lord knows the plans he has for you. For a peaceful end. That you'll prosper. All those good stuff. All right. Jeremiah 29. This is my wrap up. So if you think I'm going long. I'm going long for me. Not for other people who I won't mention. But for me this is long. Okay. Jeremiah 29. Shows death in an unusual way. I love this concept. When you grab a hold of it. You'll see this is a dying out concept right here. Here's the, here's the setting. Here's the players. The players are God as usual, but he's hidden in the scene. As most scenes, he doesn't really show. He's behind the scene. There is Jeremiah, who's writing. Okay? And then there's the exiles who are praying. They're praying and looking for God, wanting an answer from God. Now, we also have people off to the side here we barely see are the false prophets or fortune tellers, however you want to call them. Now, the way it works is Jeremiah 29 opens with God saying, Let, let's be clear, you're in exile because I put you there. Now, that's tough because they know, they, can, they saw physically the Babylonian enemy come, ransack their city, and take them out. Right, Brother Foster? Babylonians... Now, this has happened twice already, and it hasn't happened the third time yet, but it's about to. They know who the enemy is. They believe they know who the enemy is. 
The enemy is the Babylonians. But of course, God's been prophesying this whole situation through Jeremiah for a long time. It's generations of rebellion. Generations. Not, the, not a couple years ago. Not 10 years ago. Not, not, not 20 years ago. Generations of rebellion. If you don't listen, God says, this is going to happen over and over and over again. Now it's happening. So first we start Gen- Jeremiah 29. He says, this is the God of the angel armies, God of the host of heaven. I put you there. This is me. I'm the one who did that. So now he's going to give them some instruction about what to do. He tells them that they should um, build houses, plant gardens. If they're not married, get married. Have children. Have your children get married and have children. Because you're not going to leave for 70 years. Now, the prayer request that's not really clearly seen here is easy to understand through the false prophets. They're the ones who are saying, you're going back. In a couple years, one false prophet said, two years, you'll be back in the city. This is the desire of the hearts of the people. It's like people living in a tent, a tent city. And you know what? There are some of those in the world. Very sad places. Places where people have been moved out of their homes through forced actions because of a government, end up in tents, and after time, it becomes days and weeks and months and years and becomes a tent city. Horrible way to live. These are folks who are not ready to put down roots because they're hoping they'll go back home. That seems to make sense, right? But the Lord tells them, you'll never go back home. It'll be 70 years. That means if any adults are there, they'll be long past. They'll never go back home again. So the answer is no to the prayer request. It's not going to happen. Wow. That doesn't seem to be a very good theme. But the Lord says this, I have a plan for you. It's not the plan you're thinking about or want it. But I know how best to take care of you. I know how to give you prosperity and peace in that situation. Not the prayer you wanted, not the plan you like. But I've got a plan for you. I'm going to have you pray for the peace of this city. No, what? Whoa, 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 stop. Hold it. You want me to pray for the people who were our captors who brought us here. Now, of course, you can tell they're not prisoners. They're not slaves. They have the ability to build houses, the ability to marry, the ability to plant gardens, and they've got freedoms. But you mean to pray for these people? Yes, pray for the peace of the city. As the city prospers, so you will. Pray for its welfare. Seek peace. Pursue it. What are you talking about, Lord? I've got a plan. I'm going to bring you peace and prosperity. I'm going to bring you blessings and welfare. I've got plans for you. Now, the problem with that verse is that most people think of it as God is going to get me out of this. I know the plans you have for me. Yes, Lord, you have plans to get me out of whatever this is. But that's not what this verse is saying. This verse is not a get out verse. It's a I'm going to stay with you verse. You're going to go through this verse. You're going to stay there verse. Because I know better than you. I know what you need. It's going to take a dying to what you want in order to embrace his purpose, his plan, and his prospering method. He's got it, but it takes them to embrace it and not believe the lies. See, the problem is it wasn't just Jeremiah's letter. There were a lot of letters. 
Seemed like everybody had a letter. Well, I've got a letter from God. And here's another letter from God. And here's a thus saith the Lord over here. And God said, don't listen to any of them. Should have been easy to listen to Jeremiah in the first place. He'd been saying for years, you're going to be out of the city. He's had a track record. And, of course, the others would be disproved in just two years. Those that said you're going to leave in two years, they didn't. And that should have been enough. But in our life, we have the same thing. Will we believe the Lord's report? He doesn't always say, I've got a, I'm going to take your plan. I got your suggestion. I'm going to do it your way. He says, I have a plan. I've got a way. But my plan takes you dying. Jesus said it like this. Unless the seed goes in the earth and dies, it stays alone. It, there's a dying that's taken effect. I feel like I'm talking and preaching and teaching a message that's too big for me, that's bigger than me to handle. I feel like the Holy Ghost would speak to and call your life. Come and die. Come and surrender and say, Lord, it's you. I want you. I want all of your ways. I'm tired of fighting for my ways. I want to be sold out to you. Somebody stand with you right now. This call in the name of the Lord. Someone right now, this is a moment. Take your time right now. Jesus, it's you I hunger for. Jesus, it's you I desire. I want to hear, Lord, your, way, your, your words, your ways. I, I, I know you know best. I know your plans are perfect. I know you see everything. I, I don't know why I fight. And, and we, we kick against it, Lord, and elbow back against your prosperity you want in our life. We so much want it our own way and how we want to figure it out. Yet you're calling people. You said, Surrender it all. Lay it all down the line. Take up your cross and follow me. Lord Jesus, do a work, I pray, beyond the inability of any voice, of any order. Let the word of God have a powerful effect. Sink into our hearts and minds and lives, Lord. Let us be convinced, Lord, to die, to give it all, to surrender it all to you. That this is nothing more than a tent. Why are we so concerned about this tent? Oh, Lord, help me to see through heaven's eyes. Grant me your perspective, I pray. Do a mighty work. In Jesus' name. Someone said in Jesus' name. Jesus' name. God bless you all. Dismiss you in the name of the Lord. Have a wonderful week. We'll see you very, very soon.